Again, the first chapter of Jude, the first and second verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were the called, beloved in God the Father and sanctified and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've already looked at the salutation, the first part of it, where Jude identifies himself and then he lets us know who he's talking to. He's talking to those who are called those who are sanctified and those who are kept in Jesus Christ. And uh, he identifies himself as the brother of James, but not the brother of Jesus. And uh, I think that it's interesting. Uh, you know, Jude was, I'm sure, one of those who gathered outside a house one day when Jesus was teaching and they said, Master, your mother and your brothers are outside. And the reason why they were out there is because they thought that Jesus had lost his mind and they were wanting to get him out of there and take him home. And Jesus just looked around and he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And he said, these are my mothers and brothers. My mothers and brothers are those who do the will of their heavenly father. Jude did not identify himself as a brother. Later on, well, he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he calls himself a bond servant. He calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ, his brother. Their relationship had changed. He was no longer just related to him through blood. He was related to him through something much, much deeper. Now, you know, there's a place in scripture where it says, there is a friend which sticketh closer than a brother. And uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, one of our church members and I were talking last week about how, you know, there's really, we don't have many real best friends. We don't have many of those. We have acquaintances and we have friends. But then I was thinking about this even further back. And I mentioned it to him. said, yeah, you know, there are those people that get you to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. You know, there are those, those guys that you get into trouble with and all, you know, and I, I ran across them the other day said that, uh, a, if you wound up in jail, your acquaintances will probably just shake their heads. Your friends might try to get bail together for you. But your best friend would be sitting there right by you saying, man, wasn't that great? But the thing is, 
there are those that stick even closer than a brother. Jesus finally got to the place with his disciples where he said, you know, you've called me teacher, and yes, I am. But now I call you friends. There was a special relationship and there is a very close and special relationship between our Lord and Savior and us. And it's those aspects that Jude prays will be upon the hearers of his epistle. And so these aspects of that relationship with Jesus that he thinks are so important that he prayed to them at that time are also what he prays for us. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied among you. Not just upon you, but among you. He put it in the order of mercy, peace, and love. C.H. Spurgeon said this about this prayer that Jude prayed for his audience uh, as he began. Remember, this prayer would be for you as well. The benediction of the apostle is this, that this mercy peace and love may be multiplied to you. Is not that a beautiful word? Multiplied, not merely increased, but multiplied. You know what it is to increase. You add one to two, and that is three. But when you multiply, you say three times three is nine. Multiplying is a quick way of growing. Oh, that you had all these blessings multiplied. That if you have had mercy, you might have ten times as much mercy. That if you have had peace, you might have a deeper, fuller, richer, more abiding peace. Multiplied peace, peace upon peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that if you have had love, your love might be multiplied, squared, cubed. May the biggest figures that can be found multiply your love for never did any man yet have too much love to God or too much of the right kind of love for his fellow men. May the Lord make us to grow in grace, to be filled with grace, and to have these three graces multiplied unto us. Now this morning, I want us to look back, first of all, at the meaning of these three words, mercy, peace, and love. And then I want us to see the strong relationship between them. Now, the reason why he prayed this for his uh, uh, listeners or his readers, for those hearers, 
was because they were going through tough times back then. The church was in its infancy. It was starting to experience persecution. And uh, not only was it having trouble from without, but there were those who had crept in, we're going to see later on, that were uh, distorting the gospel and turning it into a license to sin. They were taking God's grace and God's love and they were making it into something totally different that trampled underfoot the very blood of Christ. And we're going to be looking at that more. So these people who were fighting uh, pressures from within and uh, dissensions within and people who were trying to lead people away from uh, uh, the true church into uh, lasciviousness, and licentiousness, those uh, people in the church, the true church back then, they were facing tough times. We're doing the same today. We have the same sort of turmoil going on in our church today. And we need this mercy, peace, and love multiplied to us just as they did back then. So first of all, I'm going to take a more in a, uh, a natural order. Uh, Jude seems to give them in uh, what I would consider a reverse or well, not a reverse order, but the order that I think that he felt the need was for. He puts mercy first, but undergirding all of that is God's love. Uh, without God's love, We'd have no mercy. We'd have no peace. And so I want to start with love. Love is an attribute of God. In fact, Scripture says that God is love. He is merciful and he has provided grace. But the love of God encompasses all of mankind. It says, in fact, Jesus said, for God so loved the world. You see, on this earth, Jesus has no favorites. He loved everybody. Way back in the book of Exodus, God made it clear to even a man like Moses that he didn't answer his prayer because he was Moses. He said, uh, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, God answered Moses' prayer because he found the explanation in himself. He treats all his creatures alike in this sense. Friend, God loves you today, right now, right now. Uh, if you knew how much he loves you, it would break your heart. It would move you to tears if you knew how much he really loves you. Now, uh, I heard this past week that Joseph Prince said that faith, the very heart of faith, 
is really believing that God loves you. And if you stop and think about it, that's true. You can trust him because he loves you. You can risk for him because you know he has your back. He is with you because he loves you. And at the very heart of faith is that real deep belief he loves you with an active love, not just a, oh, he's having a rough time, isn't he? No, he loves you enough to be with you and he's loved you enough to do a lot for you. Now, you can keep from experiencing God's love, but you can't keep him from loving you. Did you know that? You ever thought about that? You can't make him not love you. You can't keep the sun from shining, can you? But you can put up an umbrella and block the sun uh, and keep it from shining on you. And there are, if you will, umbrellas that you can put up to keep from experiencing the love of God. The umbrella of resistance to his will. The umbrella of sin in your life. And I'm sure that you can think of some other umbrellas that you can put up or maybe you have put up that keep you from experiencing the love of God. Even the belief that I'm just not worthy. That is one that uh, a lot of people have. Although God loved you, he did not save you by his love. You see, God has other attributes in addition to being our being love. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. That means he's fair in the biggest sense of the word. He simply cannot let down the bars of heaven by lowering his standards and bring you in. That's not how he made a way for you to be brought in. He cannot do that any more than a human judge can uphold the laws of the land and yet accept a bribe under the table uh, for letting a criminal off. If he does that, from that point on, he's a crooked judge, isn't he? He's not a fair judge. He's not meeting out justice after that. And if God is going to do that with human beings, he's no better than a crooked judge. And we know that that's not so. I don't mean to be irreverent. God is not a crooked judge. God has to maintain his holiness and his righteousness and his justice. And when I say he has to, I don't mean that he's obligated to in some legalistic way. It's just his nature. He's not going to become unrighteous for us. God so loved the world and he loved the world with a merciful love, a love that had a concern and a care for human beings. It's just incredible. The more that scientists learn and the more that they look, it just seems more and more like this spot in all of creation 
this earth is set just exactly where it is and set up the way it is for people. Life couldn't exist if the moons of different planets and if the planets weren't aligned the way they were, if different things, we'd have been wiped out with asteroids and meteorites and stuff a long time ago. Shields are even put up to keep this place the way that it is. Because he cares, because he loves us so much, he gave his only begotten son. He provided his son as the substitute. And now God on a righteous basis can save a sinner if he will come to him and accept his salvation. This is called the grace of God. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Synonyms of the New Testament, Dr. R.C. Trench, who is a great Greek scholar, made a clear distinction between these words, love or grace and mercy. While charis, that is grace, has a reference to the sins of men and uh, is that glorious attribute of God which all sins call out and display his free gift in their forgiveness Elios mercy has special and immediate regard to the misery which is the consequence of these sins now you can see that the grace of God, not the love of God, has to do with the sins of men. God has provided a Savior who has paid the penalty for our sins. And on that basis, God saves sinners. That is the grace of God. And I, I wrestled with this. And I talked with Sharon about this this past week. There is a distinction between grace and mercy. There is a distinction. And so uh, I'm going to wrestle with this with y'all some this morning. Sin has brought tragedy to the human family. We often hear the question, why does God, a God of love, permit cancer? Or why does a God of love permit COVID-19? Well, disease and death came to the human family as a consequence of sin. I was thinking about this just as I began studying this. If Adam and Eve could have foreseen and understood really what was going to happen when they disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge and good of evil, they probably wouldn't have eaten it because whenever they bit into that fruit, when they sinned, all of a sudden God's perfect world wasn't perfect anymore. And that is when destruction, death, decay, all those things entered into the world 
all those things that cause human heartache came forth from that disobedience, just like a ripple, an evil ripple. And it's been handed down to every one of us. So the consequences of sin, and let's face it, if we really knew the consequences of our sin, we would probably elect not to do it. But we choose many times not to believe what God has said. We choose to turn our head and look the other way. And this is where the distortion of God's grace starts to come in. We want to say, well, I really want to do this bad. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then I know God will forgive me because he loves me. That is when you start getting off into willful sin and you start drifting away from God. God sees the misery that sin has caused and the mercy of God goes out to man because of our sin. We need mercy. And God identifies himself as being rich in mercy. He has lots of mercy. Isn't that good to know for us sinners? If you come to him as a sinner and accept his salvation, he will save you by his grace. And then because he is rich in mercy, he will extend his mercy to you. He will bring comfort to you that at that time he will help you and comfort your heart. You can trust him in your time of need. When you ask for healing, uh, what you're doing is you're asking for his mercy. Notice that many times when people called out to Jesus in the gospels for healing, they first of all cried out, Son of God, have mercy. That was their first call, was for mercy. They knew they deserved what they were going through. They knew they were sinners. But the first thing that he would do would be to forgive them of their sin. You see, it was his grace that brought him here so that he could extend mercy the paralyzed man was first told by jesus your sins are forgiven and it's later that he told him to take up his bed and walk do you see the distinction there first of all he extended grace and he said he told the the pharisees that were telling him They were griping because he was saying that he forgave sins. Just so you can see that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up and he walked. So first of all, there was the grace for the forgiveness of sins. And then the mercy could flow. He's already saved you by his grace, but we stay in constant need of his mercy. Mercy is that love of his which goes out to us in our misery 
here upon this earth in this fallen world. A sinner needs the grace of God and he needs a whole lot of mercy. Now let me share with you again from Dr. Trench. Uh, I'll repeat what I've already quoted and then go on. Uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm just going to take it up where he left off last time. In the divine mind and in the order of our salvation is conceived therein, the alios mercy precedes the charis grace. God so loved the world with a pitying love, therein was alios mercy, that he gave his only begotten son, Herein is charis, mercy, that the world through him might be saved. But in the order of the manifestation of God's purposes of salvation, the grace must go before the mercy. And the uh, grace must go before and make a way for the mercy. It is true that the same persons are the subjects of both, being at once the guilty and the miserable. Yet the righteousness of God, which is quite necessary, should be maintained as his love demands that the guilt should be done away with before the misery can be assuaged. Only the forgiven can be blessed. Can you see that? You've got to be forgiven through his grace before you can be blessed. You've got to be freed from your sin. No, you've got to be forgiven of your sin before you can be freed from all the things that have come out of your sin. Grace and then mercy is how we experience it. God must pardon before he can heal. Men must be justified before they can be sanctified or made holy or made righteous. In the order of the manifestation of God's purposes of salvation, the grace of God has to go before the mercy of God. The grace goes before and takes away and makes a way for the mercy of God. Love, mercy, and peace. The peace of God is that experience which comes from a heart that is trusting in God. As I said earlier, this is the heart of faith. Trusting that God loves you. Trusting Christ. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is to know that God's not difficult to get along with. He is not making it hard for me. He is not making it hard for you. He wants us to know that he hasn't anything against us now that we know that we are sinners and have trusted Christ as our, as our Savior. 
It says he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west in a straight line, not around the world so they meet on the other side. As far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. It says he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. So if you do something wrong and you ask the Lord to forgive you and you are still bothered by it and you've received his forgiveness and you go up to him and it's bothering and you say, Lord, do you remember when I he said, what are you talking about? It's in the sea of forgetfulness. You need to let go of it and move on. He hasn't anything against us now. The world may point its finger at you. The world may reject you. But God has now accepted you. He loves you. And he wants to give you that peace. So that at night you can uh, uh, put your pillow on the heads of God's promises. Uh, you're putting, I'm sorry, I did that backwards, didn't I? Put your head on the pillow of God's promises. Does that sound better? Yeah. Okay. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. Faith is believing that God loves you. Salvation comes when you act on that faith and receive what he's done for you. Whenever you do that, mercy and peace and love will be multiplied to you. And as you walk in his grace and his love and his mercy and his peace, those things will continue to be multiplied to you and you will be able to handle literally everything that this chaotic world can throw at you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.